see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Okay, uh, so just take that first section, 21 through 22 there, 21 and 22. Uh, you'll probably notice a couple of things that might be challenging in that. He's first rejoicing that these things have been hidden from the wise and understanding. And then the second thing, that the Father has only revealed this. Uh, uh, those uh, Only the Son can reveal who he wants uh, to have. Uh, understand him and reveal him. So if you were talking to somebody about that text, there'd be first, the first issue, what would be the main thing you'd want to explain? So he's hidden these things. Thank you, Father, you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding. What would be your explanation of, of that? Uh, that sounds a little contradictory. <laughs> Why, God doesn't want to reveal it to the wise and understanding? Why would God, Jesus, be thankful that God didn't reveal this to wise and understanding? There's one thing that I just snapped to your head. Anyone can understand. Yes, uh, uh, I get to. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm not that smart. I get to understand it. Uh, what is the problem with the wise and understanding in this context? Obviously, you could talk about Proverbs talks about the importance of being wise and understanding. But in this context, what's the problem with wise and understanding? Yeah, wise and understanding in their own eyes and, and what they see. And therefore, what happens? They change the message. Okay, they, they, they don't appreciate the message. Yeah, they're not going to appreciate the message. The message is, what is that? Remember Paul saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 1? Uh, when he, when he, he, he talked about there's not many among you who are wise, not many among you are powerful, not many among you, you know, are all of these things. Why? Because they saw the gospel as foolishness. So if God had revealed it only to the wise and understanding of this world, that is in this world's category, this world's standards, he would have left out everybody else. So what he's doing is he's revealing so that anybody who will get rid of the wise understanding thoughts of this world can now understand the true wisdom of God. So it's a contrast between wisdoms. First Corinthians talks about this chapter one. There's the wisdom of God and there's the wisdom of man. And the wisdom of God supersedes the wisdom of man and the wisdom of God will get you to heaven and the wisdom of man won't get you anywhere. Somebody have their hand up. No. Uh, you read this from Ecclesiastes 7 16. Do not be overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? <laughs> yeah. There is destruction in seeking after wisdom, uh, of seeking after knowledge, knowledge, thing. Yeah. Good. Yeah, it, it, and it, that, that happens all the time. That's so true. Uh, just the idea of being impressed. Uh, that's a little loud, I think. <laughs> At least it is for me, breaking me. Uh, <clears throat> just being impressed with our own uh, wisdom and knowledge. It's just seeking out the wisdom of this world all the time. Just seeking that. And uh, uh, here, here's the wisdom. <laughs> it's, it's right here. Uh, Julie. Yes. 
Right, right. And, and it comes down to humility. That's exactly right. Do you understand your own need? So somebody who's seeking the wise and understanding of this world, being extra smart, being impressing people, they're not understanding that that didn't change your sin, that didn't change your flaws, that didn't change your uh, need for God, that didn't change any of these things. You go back to the, over and over again, we can go back to that Luke 7, Pharisee, sinful woman. Over and over again, you know, you keep seeing that contrast in the book of Luke. So that's a really good thing. Got it? Any, uh, any other questions or comments on that? That's a pretty straightforward, really good, simple point. So right along with that point is that last statement in verse 22. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father. And who the Father is, and who the Father is, except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. All right. So I'll just tell you what that means. That means Jesus looks down and goes, "Let me see. Who do I want to go to heaven? I'll choose you, and maybe you, not you, and you." <laughs> do something like that. Well, that's not the way they would look at that. No, they wouldn't look at it that way. Because you still get to be you still get to be saved just to be on the earth. No, it would be more like the the classic tulip Calvinism. God chose who would be saved and who would be lost. Uh, <clears throat> uh, and so there yeah, that that would be the idea. But obviously that's not what's going on here. How can you explain the idea anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him? So ask it a different question. Who does the Son choose to reveal God to? Who does Jesus choose to reveal God to? Okay, anybody who humbles himself and is willing to listen to him. Who is not going to be the wise and understanding of this world? That's who he's chosen to reveal God to. That's the, that's the idea. And, uh, you know, it's the same kind of thing in, uh, in Romans, uh, at the end of, in chapter 9 and chapter 10. Uh, it, it's the same idea that uh, the Jews didn't attain to righteousness because they sought it by works. God's choice was that he would save only those people who came by faith. Understood faith in Christ. He chose, that's who he chose. So from the foundation of the world, God chose who he's going to save. Predestined it. That's the idea. He predetermined who he's going to save. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. You cannot be saved any other way than who God chose to be saved. Who did he choose? He chose those who would come to Christ. That's all he chose. He didn't choose anybody else. Well, I don't like that. You're not God. Take it up with him. So it's a real, real strong point. Okay? That's the idea. Questions, comments on that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He's saying, "Don't, don't, don't." Yeah. Who? The the question was, "Well, who? What does he mean when he says no one knows the Son except the Father, and and who the Father is except the Son?" But you have to add that last statement in order to understand that. And whom to whom the Son chooses to reveal him? You're not going to know the Father, and you're not going to know the Son unless 
you choose to come to Christ humbly, without wisdom and understanding and all that of this world. If you don't choose that, you will never know the Father and you never know the Son because the Son only chooses to reveal God to those who humble themselves and come to Him. That's kind of the basic idea. Franco, you have some? I think another way to look at it, you have God who is unseen proclaiming to us things that are not seen. And the only way to proclaim it is in a language that we understand, which is God. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Go ahead. You know, I think about who the child is and the, and the reactive about blessed is the poor in heart, for they shall see God. Because that really does go along with That's it. That's the idea. And it's that attitude of mm -hmm. having an open heart just like a child. They're going to believe you instead of saying, now, what's the ulterior motive? I, I don't like that right. this is said. It might be baptism or whatever else it may be. Yeah. But to have that acceptance of a pure heart. Okay, if that's what God wants, that's what I want. Yeah. yeah, it all starts, and that's why he starts that in the Sermon on the Mount. It all starts with blessed the poor in spirit. And poor in the word there is ab abject poverty. It's like, I have nothing. Until a person comes to that point. That was the problem with the Pharisees. It's the problem he kept dealing with with the religious elite uh, over and again. Until you come to that poverty of spirit and say, I have nothing, and please fill me. I can only get it from you, Teresa. Good, good, good analogy. We shouldn't. We should be uh, uncomfortable out of the presence of God. We want to be in His presence, and because why? Because uh, without Him, we're nothing, and we're we're in great need. And it's and it is a panic. That's right. Right. Anybody else? Finally. All right. Let's let's go on then to verse twenty three. The twenty three and twenty four. Bless the eyes that see what you see. Obviously, many prophets and kings desired to see it. He, he is doing what? Stressing the fantastic opportunity, the fantastic culmination of everything he, that God has been about way back even before time began. It's you have been able to see it. Uh, a bunch of fishermen and a tax collector and a zealot. You have been able to see this. And if they have, we have. We have even greater. They didn't get to see even what we have been seeing. So it's just such a great honor God has put on us. I often think about the frustration it would have been to live back during the prophets and hear the prophets and try to obey God. But just... Again, just getting glimpses of what's he going to do? <laughs> and now we get to see it. You need to appreciate that. That's, by the way, another reason why the Old Testament is so important. Reading it correctly, reading it to see what God is doing, reading it to see his purposes, not just reading it as history. When you read it to see his purposes, then it culminates in this exciting explosion of just beauty of what God is doing. So really important. Thoughts or questions on that? Before we go on? 
All right. Let's go to the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, Well-known parable, maybe not uh, well uh, interpreted sometimes to see everything that's in it. And behold, a lawyer, if you were explaining to somebody a lawyer, what would that be? Scribe, yes. In our, in, in more common terms, the scribe. They were called lawyers because they knew the law. Scribes because they wrote the law. All right. Uh, behold, a lawyer stood up uh, to put him to the test. Where I see his motive, saying, "Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life?" Uh, if he put him to the test and asked that question, how serious is he? <laughs> you begin to wonder how serious he is right there, don't you? Uh, verse 26, he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have measured correctly. Do this and you will live. What is unique about Jesus' way of teaching here? He let him tell. Instead of jumping in and telling him, he asked a question of him. Please, I have to try to talk myself into remembering that a hundred thousand times. Remember that when someone's trying to test you. Even when they're not, ask the question back to clarify where their thinking is. And then you will have a better way of answering. Well, how do you read it? Before, boy, we just can't wait to tell, 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 tell. Before you tell, well, how do you read it? What is your conclusion there? Now the burden is placed back in his lap. He has to come up with the answer. And then that prepares Jesus to be able to better explain to him the need. He's able to then have a better discourse with him. It's an important tactic in discussing Scripture with a friend. That's a real, real important picture that's given here. Okay? And uh, you think that yeah. answer is odd? You think other Jews would have had the same type of answer? Oh, this, this guy's sharp. I'm not sure other Jews would. I think you're right. I know. Exactly. So, did the man have a problem in interpreting the scripture? No. Not at all. You know, Ed Harrell uses this in one of his little booklets, uh, uh, Thinking Inside the Box <laughs> Concerning Authority, etc. And he uses this example. And he says, You will notice in this, there was, the man had no problem understanding the Bible, he had no, no problem trying to figure out. Uh, command example a necessary inference or whatever you want to, to list it as. He had no problem with that. What was his problem? He didn't want to do it. <laughs> That's right. He's going to justify himself. He's going to rationalize. He didn't want to do it. <laughs> so there's the problem. And that's exactly what you see then in verse uh, 29. But he desiring to justify himself. So We'll talk about what he need think about what he needed to justify here. Said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Okay, before we read, what is he trying to justify? He yeah, he hasn't done it. <laughs> That's right. Who has he done it for? Who would you say this scribe probably has 
loved as far as a neighbor is concerned? Other scribes. <laughs> Other scribes. <laughs> yeah, something like that. What class of people, though? What, what, uh, how would you describe it a little more uh, so that somebody could understand here? What, what kinds of people? We all do this. You, this is easy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's anybody that we uh, have measured that would deserve mercy, love, or help. That's, that's who. Or people who could pay me back. Or people who could pay me back. Or, you know, yeah, we, we have some kind of standard. And that's exactly what they do here. Uh, he's now going to illustrate exactly that standard. So then he says, verse 30, Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Jericho Road, by the way, was a dangerous road. He's talking about something that wasn't infrequent <laughs> that happened. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. All right, well, since we know the parable really well, let's just stop right there. Uh, why did the priest and the Levite pass by? Why did they take one look and go, yuck, I'm not doing that, and he passed by? Give it to me, Jerry. What is it? He's beneath them. Ah, he's beneath Why would they judge the man beneath them? This is getting into the Jewish mind. But why would you judge the man condemned who's laying there bleeding and going to die? Yeah, obviously he's a terrible sinner because look at the bad thing that happened to him. They judged everything on the basis of are you blessed physically or not? Does that remind you of somebody, some, a group of guys in the Old Testament? Job, that's right, Job's friends. That's who it reminds you of. It reminds you of, well, you must have done something terrible, Job, and this wouldn't have happened to you. And they blast him for 30 chapters you know, about, you're just a terrible person. Why don't you repent? And Job keeps scratching his head and says, well, I wish God would tell me where I've done it wrong because I can't figure that one out. And So, yeah, that's the idea. So here was the Pharisees who they looked at the wealthy, they looked at the blessed, they looked at those who didn't have problems, of, of any kind of major issue, and they said they're the ones that God has blessed, and everybody else God has cursed. Why should I help somebody God cursed? God cursed him. Michael. I've heard an illustration of this before that, you know, Jesus didn't give any reasons as to why they passed by. Like, what if they were headed, like, I rushed into Jerusalem? I'm busy going to the temple. Yeah, and I came to find myself with this potential dead body or something, but the point that the man made in the lesson was like, it doesn't matter what the excuse is, we don't need the excuse because any excuse would indict us. That's right. And I, yeah. I thought they probably were concerned about their own welfare too. They, well, yeah. Who wants to put themselves out? Uh, this does interrupt your whole day. Uh, after all, this is not like, uh, oh, he fell off his donkey, let me put him back on and get him on his way, or something like that. No, this is, a, this is going to be a, a real interruption to his time, meaning love your neighbor is going to take a lot of 
sacrifice, isn't it? It can't just be, oh, well, let me send you a little dinner over. And by the way, if there's anything I can do to help you, just please let me know as you're looking around the house and see a disaster area that needs to be taken care of for a sick person. You know, it's obviously that kind of picture, okay? So, yeah, real, real important here. But we already know from Luke's messages this way already, going back to Luke 7, for example. And, and uh, when we get to Luke 15, he's eating with publicans and sin, re, re, republicans and sinners. Now, that's what he's, he's, you know, here, here he's doing all this. And, and so there's that look down attitude. That's, that's the key. All right. Okay. Uh, so going on then. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. What a sermon. <laughs> wow. I just uh, Notice the question again. Notice how he asked him, makes him say it. Who, who showed himself to be a neighbor? Do you notice he didn't use the word Samaritan? <laughs> I'm not saying that, that word. Uh, the one who showed mercy. Jesus obviously purposely chose a Samaritan because they were so hated by the Jews and thought of as being do so disgusting. And they would never be a neighbor. <laughs> and they would never be a neighbor. That's, that's exactly right. Uh, so, the, so there's the idea. Now, here's the big question. Why does the Samaritan show compassion? What causes a person to show compassion in this situation? It's a really important question. And we've already seen it lined up earlier in Luke's account. What makes him show compassion? Jerry? Oh. The need in yourself? Yeah. It starts with you, doesn't it? Once you see yourself, previous paragraph... Once you see yourself as not the wise and understanding and the big wig and all of this, but see yourself as totally empty and need of God and always relying on God, then you see everybody else in need as well. That's the, that's the follow-up there. Franco? I think also it when you see where Jesus is preparing himself to go to Jerusalem to die on the cross. And when he had talked at the end of us nine of those who are his disciples, those who follow him, are going to be self-sacrificial. They're going to see their sin in light of who Christ is. Yeah. And so here you see Christ using this example there, he's going to display that on the cross. Yeah, yeah, and this is, you're right, this sets up as a great teaching of the disciples themselves and the apostles. I'm sure they would, as we've seen earlier in Luke, have needed this uh, as well. But that whole idea of you are a slave and servant in God's kingdom. You are a nobody, and in God's kingdom, the greatest is the servant. And that picture has gone on and on and on uh, through here. And so when this, this parable is given, the Samaritan does this. 
because the Samaritan has the heart of the sinful woman back in, in, in Luke 7. The Samaritan does not have the heart of the priest, the Levite, and the Pharisee back in Luke 7. Remember Peter in Luke 5, the attitude of Peter prior to the catch of great fish. What was it between him and Jesus? What was his attitude? I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> Me and Jesus, we've hung out for months now, all of this. Boom. Miracle of great fish. Peter's response? Depart from me, I'm a sinful man. All of a sudden, he realizes in whose presence he is standing. And then there's this great need. And from that time on, now he can be, as Jesus said, oh, good. I, now I can make you fishers of men. I couldn't before. There's no way you would have cared enough to save souls until you see yourself as a great sinner. You see yourself as a little sinner, I guarantee you, we've all been there. You will walk through life judging people constantly in your mind without saying anything. You will judge them as to whether or not they deserve the gospel. Worst Worst error in the Christian human mind, and not one of us is exempt. It's just all done it and catch ourselves all the time. That message in Luke, to me, is the message over and over again. He just keeps popping it. Who's he talking to? Theophilus, who is obviously some kind of Roman official, he's a bigwig. And in the Roman mind, he has, Luke has to get him to see this. I don't care what position you're in, you need to be like this Samaritan. You need to be like Peter after the catch of fish. You need to be like the sinful woman, not the Pharisee. It's a great message. And you can't have compassion unless you've been there. Yeah, it's hard. And this Samaritan, you know, just picture in your mind, he might have been that Robert one time. Yeah, he's had others maybe come to his need. And, and he came, so yeah. how much more gracious yeah. is someone who's been through it? Yeah. Well, and, and along what you say, Alan, you, you can get the idea, anybody, we, we can easily get the idea if we haven't been through a bad trial. Uh, just like the three friends of Job, you look at somebody who's going through a trial and go, well, I wonder what dumb thing they did to get in, the mat, in that mess. <laughs> well, if you had a been, <laughs> I've had that said to me a number of times during trial. Well, you know, if you had a been, if you had of, be like me, you know, I'm, uh, I'm so brilliant and smart. I never fall into any of these trials that happen. You kind of go, step away. <laughs> step away. Here's it coming. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, just, boy, we have to live humbly. Micah, chapter 6, we have to live humbly before our God. Isn't that just the greatest message? It is just so important. And when we act that way, I'll tell you what, it is easy to love each other when we have that. That's the key. When people, when we're not loving, we're not looking at ourselves. And it's easy for others to love you. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Good. Michael? Maybe you could talk a little bit about verse 37. The one who showed him mercy and Mercy's not the word I would have used there in our like classical definition of love, like not giving them what they deserve and then grace is giving them what they don't deserve. 
I wouldn't have used the word mercy there because it's not like this man deserved to die and he came along and didn't give him what he did deserve. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, I, I guess I look more at mercy in the sense that he was in the position of power at this moment. He was in the position that he could do something. Like the priest and the Levite, they're in a position they could do something, but they're not going to do it. And so they're not really going to show mercy. We need to show mercy when we have the strength and power to do something and uh, somebody else does not have that power, and that's when we really come to their aid. Jerry? Yeah, it's like, like somebody else's mercy kind of thing, like indirectly doing that. Uh, re recently, uh, it was just yesterday, I read where someone kind of took this, like, you know, I'm not a Christian, but let me put this in uh, modern day, modern day terms. So they came up with this whole analogy of someone fleeing the drug cartels from Mexico and how we need to take care of them, very pointed with their Objective in that, yeah. Thing, you know, we shouldn't uh, get rid of. Because of war. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, it was very, really political. But uh, just, just looking at that in general of, okay, well, who do we apply this to? Everybody. Everybody. Like there, there's all sorts of other things in life that you need to quantify and qualify and make sure that you're uh, balancing with everything else. But at the end of the day, yeah, you're, you're, yeah. you're looking at. We are, we are, we go through life helpless, especially in many situations, physically, not just spiritually, and others go through life and hit situations where they need help. They're, help, they're helpless at the moment, and something has to be done. And of course, we've mentioned, look at the extent that the Samaritan went to in order to take care of him. I mean, he great cost to himself, great expense to himself. So that teaches a very strong message as well, doesn't it? Can you say something? Yeah. I, a phrase I've heard a lot lately is victim blaming. And the, the person in the they did that. Yeah. For your example, perhaps they did that. Yeah. And we tend to do that too. Should have right? Yeah. Yeah. No, he didn't ask those questions. He saw a man in need who was bleeding and in trouble, and, uh, and he does something about it. That's exactly right. Uh, and uh, so, you know, it's another one of those things of open your eyes and see what does it mean to love your neighbor. Now, take it to the final degree is what does it mean to love your neighbor when you see them beaten and uh, 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 destroyed by Satan and they have need of the gospel, the greatest remedy there is. And I'll tell you what, this guy did a lot to take his time and money to do something about this man. When you try to save a soul in this that's spiritually in this condition, it will take you more than a day or two. It will take you an enormous amount of time. And people don't often understand how much time it takes. So I was, uh, you, many of you heard me talk about Louie and Rebecca, who live about an hour away now, and, and all that. And when I was teaching Louie, after the first year, I said, Louie, because I had been asked the question, how much time have you spent with Louie? And I, I, I said to Louie, I said, Louie, how much time do you think I've spent with you? 
just this year, just trying to help you, you know, get on your feet spiritually and all that. And he goes, oh, at least 400 hours. <laughs> and I said, I would have guessed 300, but whatever. It's been a lot, hadn't it? And he says, yeah. And, and you know, that's just the thing. Uh, you, you are like birthing a child when you are teaching somebody and you have to drop everything at a moment's notice uh, and, and go and help. Because if you don't, something's tearing them away. They're like children the moment, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. And especially with an internet now where you just click on and go, what about what that guy's teaching? And five million people go, he's an idiot. You know, <laughs> and, 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 you know and, and to, a, to a person who doesn't know the Bible very well, it just... Oh, it just overwhelms them. And so there's a great, great need. And uh, it's just the emphasis of what is it going to take for you and I to save one soul? It's going to take a lot of time. And that time is what we have a hard time investing in. So if, if you wouldn't take it from the standpoint the priest and Levite just didn't have time, well, there isn't anything greater that there could be than a person's soul and taking the time to do that. And that's what it means to love. To take your example farther, it's more like a pregnancy. It's a development. Yes, it is. Rather than birth. Yeah, well, and, and Paul talks about it that way in Galatians chapter 4. He says, I'm in labor giving birth to you all over again. He says, I, I work so hard to give you, you know, get you that point. Uh, yes, you said something. Yeah. Um, Sarah? No, I was, I was thinking putting all this together that you were talking about, about the way the priest and the Levite viewed this person by the side of the road as opposed to the Samaritan. And in a nutshell, the Samaritan saw that person on the road and said, that could have been me. You know, he showed, he had compassion on him, they showed mercy. And I think that in this context, looking at the, the priest and the Levite and their approach to someone in trouble, <laughs> you know, they kind of saw themselves as, oh, well, that's not going to happen to me. That's, I do what I'm supposed to do. And yep. God takes care of me. And, you know, um, but, but the Samaritan recognize that he and this man by the side of the road were in the same um, boat of humanity, so to speak. Yeah, uh, and, and you're right. It, 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 the idea of it's not going to happen to me and all this, and this was, by the way, and if the Pharisees thought that the Sadducean belief didn't affect them, it, it certainly did. But the Jews as a whole saw things as the Sadducees. Success before God was success on earth. And that's, that's the way they looked at it. Sadducees, they weren't even looking for a eternity. They were just looking for, the, <laughs> for what they could get right now. Yeah. And we need to be careful. Oh. Christians, just because we have found the truth, does not yeah. mean that we're you know, special oh. and, <laughs> and different than people. And I, I, I know you grew up that way, and I grew up that way. It was just an attitude of, aren't we smart? We know the truth, and nobody else does, and they're a bunch of goons. And it's just that, that kind of, it, you know, it was never said in exactly those terms, but you got that atmosphere, and it was, oh, God. yeah, and, uh, and, and then to be that judgmental and, and realize as we read things like this, we are the ones judged. Uh, it's so, so dangerous, and, and uh, uh, so needed to get Jesus' attitude in us. Uh, it's just such a beautiful spirit that he has in. Um, we've, you know, we've taken this passage and uh, as, as we've developed the thought in class, the, 
the scribe here asked a spiritual question, and Christ responded with a physical example. We, then in this class, and it's not unique, it's sat in lots of classes about the Good Samaritan that part of it, have then reverted back to the spiritual question. I think there's definitely like applications of who we teach spiritually that are a part of this, but we might want to be careful not to forget that when, when the scribe asked Christ a spiritual question, the response was about physical things. How are you going to do it? How are you going to do it? We need to apply this when we're teaching others, but we may need to also remember to check and make certain that physically we're showing the same sorts of mercies that the Samaritan here is committed. Yeah, absolutely, man. That's that's we did talk about that. That's why I waited till the end of it and say, now take it to the next level. And that's exactly right. You can't say, well, you know, I shared the gospel with them. Who cares if they're dying in their bed over there? You know, you've got to do something about it. That's that's right. All right, uh, I've got about five minutes here. I wanted to finish this chapter. Uh, verse 38, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha, we're introduced to Martha here, sweet Martha, welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. That's uh, uh, as a person who uh, sometimes cooks for people and as knowing watching my wife always cook for people, uh, I think uh, if I were Martha, I'd have said, well, let me bring the lunch to you, Jesus, and dump it in your lap then. <laughs> I'm trying to work here. <laughs> I, I get into the scene a little bit too much. <laughs> but uh, obviously back out a bit. And what is, how would you describe the main point here? A little louder. Don't get yourself occupied. Yeah. Stuff's not really important. Yeah, be careful because, and, and we've talked about this a lot, the urgent things begin to take the in place of what's important. And that's what was here. Uh, hey, uh, Martha, better to, I, I, you know Martha's thought. I got Jesus in my house. This has got to be a great meal. We have all these guys. We've got disciples. We've got everything else. I can't just throw out ham and cheese. Well, maybe not ham, but I can't do that. <laughs> I, I can't do that. I just can't just throw this out and go, hey, just a buffet around here. When you get a chance that's all on the table, just grab it. And I want to sit down and listen to Jesus. I think one of the most frustrating things I've had a lot of times is going to meetings. You know, I go to somebody's house and the woman is so busy I never get to talk to her. <laughs> and I want to get to know her and what's going on. And she's frustrated. And Teresa gets frustrated in the same situation. And so it, it's like, slow down, slow down. And that's just a great message. How are you distracted? Now, you're teaching somebody. This is going to happen over and over again. Oh, uh, yeah. Can, you want to study again next week? Yeah, oh, I can't next week. You know, I'm busy this, I'm busy that, I'm busy this, I'm busy that. Yeah, you got all these cares of the world. And it's not unimportant things necessarily, 
but you're letting your life drive you and you're missing the fact that you're about to meet Christ in eternity. Any second. This is urgent. And it is hard to say that to somebody who you're just starting to study with. But at some point, you have to, this is the great text to do that. You have to say, look, you know, you can see how important this is. You, I get distracted, you get distracted, we all do. But any second, you can die. And you're not ready. You're not ready. Michael. That reminds me of, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. Like, this is a good thing that she was doing, yeah. serving Jesus. But yeah. what, what was the best thing? The greater thing. That's, that's exactly right. Wonderful that you're doing this, but to the point and the, and those words anxious and troubled and distracted all of those words there you've gone overboard balance great be a servant balance your life balance your life what's more important uh, Teresa and I ran into this last week trying to help somebody people are more important than things don't let the things crowd out loving your neighbor see how this follows right up here get everything in balance good good all right we'll start with chapter 11 next week a lot in chapter 11 you want to get prepared for that and thank you for your good comments